Uh, it is good to be here together this morning. Uh, it is good for us to be able to sing songs. It is good for us to have a time of, of opening up God's word together. It is good for the people of God to have community with one another. And so it is good. We're glad to have this time with you. Now, what we want to do is, um, if you are new with us, or maybe you haven't been with us in, in a few weeks since we started this series, um, I don't know how many of you watch TV shows. Uh, do you want watch TV shows? Anyone heard of TV? <laughs> No, good, God bless you, go with God. Um, you know when you watch a TV show and then they have that like 30 second to two minute like recap of where the TV show has been and so then they say, okay, this is what's going on. That way you kind of know where the plot is going for that, uh, that episode. Well, that's what we like to do here in the beginning of the sermon series, or rather the sermons, to review where we've been previously in the It Starts Here series. And so, you know, this idea that it starts here and, and we talk about this idea that no matter where you are in your relationship with God right now, if you are someone who is just trying things out and you're not really sure about this, but you've been invited and you're intrigued, if you're someone who's grown up or maybe has been a part of it for a while, but then has fallen away or just not been involved and just kind of going about your path and want to come back in and get invested, whether you're someone who's known the Lord for years and you've been a part of this and com committed for years and years, all of us, it would be safe to say, I think, that if you're in this room this morning, all of us are in a point where we're, we might be wondering, how can I grow deeper in my relationship with God? How can we go deeper? Because if I'm brand new, I, I, I want to get a little bit in. And if I've kind of back and forth, and maybe I want to jump fully in. And then if I'm committed, I think I'm already in, but I want to go deeper into that and, and learn more about who God is and dive even more so into relationship with him. And so what we've been saying is if we want to answer the question, how do I get a deeper relationship with God? The answer we're saying is that it starts here. And this idea is that it starts with our understanding of worship, of our understanding of who we worship, what is worship, why we worship, when we worship, how we worship, and then lastly, in a few weeks, we'll do where we worship. But we started off with this idea of who we worship. And, and the whole point is that the word worship in the Old English is this idea of ascribing worth to something. So all of us, whether it's based on how much time we spend on something, how much money we spend on something, what hobbies we do, I mean, all of us ascribe worth to something. So this idea for the who is we talk about that everyone worships something, but who we worship is everything. That that shapes our lives because we can either pursue a God fully and wholeheartedly, or we could try to use God to pursue our own idols. And if we do that, we experience a life that is difficult, that is empty, that we struggle over and over and over again, not finding that one true God who can heal us, who can fulfill us, who can be with us always. And so we recognize that that's who we worship is everything. Then the second week we talked about what is worship. And often I grew up thinking, or in my time with uh, being a Christian growing up, thinking, okay, worship was the songs that we sing on stage. And so that's part of it, but it's not all of it. And so we talk about how, what is worship? It's worship is not just lifting up our voices. That's part of it. It's not just lifting up our voices. It's laying down our lives. It's looking at Romans 12 and recognizing that we want to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual act of worship or our true and proper worship. Last week, we looked at why do we worship? And we worship God because we have been changed by who he is, what he's done, and how he loves and not just that we know those things, but we've been changed by those things. And so in being, in being changed by them, we can't help but worship God. We can't help but give him praises. We can't help to lift his name on high because we can't help to see how much he's already helped us. And so then 
This morning, we're going to talk about the when. As we've been asking these questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how, today we're talking about the when. So before we do, open up in a word with prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, God. We thank you for each and every person that is in this room, because we recognize that each and every person that is in this room is loved by you, formed by you, Lord, and, and you want a deeper relationship with us. So may we lean into you and learn what it is that you have for us today. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible way, in a mighty way, in a personal way to each of us, Lord. And may we, um, may we live our lives for you uh, each and every day throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've alluded to it earlier, but Happy Father's Day to everyone. I know that uh, some of us, Happy uh, Father's Day is a, is a really exciting day. It's something you look forward to. Like for me, um, after service, uh, we're going to have nap time. Hopefully we, as in we, uh, nap time too. But uh, then we're going to go to the zoo for a little bit. Um, and then there's a, a Chicago-style pizza place that I really want to try in North Park. So it's like, I'm going to have pizza for, my, for Father's Day. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And, I love spending time with my family. Don't think I didn't mean that, but uh, we're able to have that time together. That's going to be really exciting. Um, for some of us, Father's Day is, is one where we kind of reflect, you know. Uh, we look back and, and think about uh, how things have been going with our kids. And, and, you know, you hear the quotation sometimes that parents are only as happy as their unhappiest child. And sometimes we look and we reflect on where are my kids and how are they doing and what does that look like and how's my relationship with them. You know, this, uh, this past weekend, I went to my uh, previous church because they have this event called the Pretty Pink Princess Prom. <laughs> I know, marketing, lots of peas. Um, but it's one of those where it was this, it's an event for four-year-old girls and up, and their dads to take them out, get dressed up, go on a nice date, um, and it's just this incredible time. And, and I did this because I was telling Steph that I just felt like in the season, I hadn't connected with Shaylin as much as I would have liked to. And so I was reflecting. I said, you know, this is a time where we need to do this. So we took a road trip and, and we went up there. And I remember the first time I went with her a couple years ago, it was one of those times where I'm like, okay, like she's going to go, we're excited, and we're going to have these like meaningful conversations. She's four. We're going to have these meaningful conversations, and it's going to be awesome. And then like, we got food, and we're sitting and talking, she goes, Dad, can I go play with my friends? Like, it begins. Um, and so I was just by myself, hanging out with other dads, just watching. Anyways, so we are able to just reflect um, in this season. For some of us, you know, this is a season where it's really tough because we, uh, maybe our, our father was great, at, but he's no longer with us. And so, you know, it's a, it's a day that can have a weight to it. It's a day that can be difficult um, and really struggle because we, you know, maybe we had a close relationship with our dad, but now he's not here and so we miss him. For some of us, it's a day that's difficult because we've missed our dad a lot longer. He may still be living, but he's never been present. And so we recognize that there's a wound there that we're really struggling with. And, and no matter where we are, and, and obviously there's tons of other ways we can process Father's Day, but, but even though this isn't necessarily a Father's Day message, the message that we can see is that we recognize that whether this is an exciting day, a hurtful day, a wounding day, a difficult day, a happy day, we recognize that this day and every day, that God is our Father. That this day and every day, we recognize that how good and pleasing and beautiful it is that we may be called children of God. And you, regardless of your past, regardless of how you're feeling right now, regardless of your fear of the failure and the future, what that may look like, regardless of that, children of God, that is what you are. So no matter what wound we may have, we recognize that we have one who by his wounds we are healed. And so we praise God this morning for that.
But I look at my life and I look at different roles that I play. Right, I, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm an employee, I'm someone who, I'm a neighbor, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm uh, all these different things. And, and then I start to think about my week and I think about what I've done this past week. What, how was my time spent? And you could ask the question, and, and I wonder if I were to look at the hours of how much time I spent on things and what that looked like, wondering how much of my activity this past week was sacred. Like how much of my time this past week was truly sacred. And so we look at this and we think about the roles that you might have as all those things I listed and maybe many more. And so how much time do you think of this past week had you done, had you spent that was sacred? That was something where we think about, okay, sacred, this is what I'm doing. This is my, my time with God. This is my, my time at church, or maybe this is my, my Sunday school or my small group, my Bible study, or this is my quiet time. Like these are my sacred times that I'm giving to God. And think about, I wonder what the percentage would be if I were to do the math and put that all together. Well, uh, I put together a chart, and this isn't my chart, but this is a chart that's based off of um, some of the statistics of how much time Americans, that adults that we are spending in various different areas. So let me run through this real quick for you. So sleep is 56 hours if each of us get eight hours a night. For those of us that are dads with young kids, that's a nice thought. Uh, but 56 hours of sleep throughout the week. For work, you know, maybe we work a 40-hour work week. So then we look at that. If you're in school, uh, shorten that a little bit, but you get a picture of how much block of time that either work or school would take. Social media, that the average American t spends 15.75 hours on social media every week. 15.75 hours a week, which is a lot, but it pales in comparison to 24.5 hours on TV. 24 hours, that's an entire day's worth. That's like you could watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy back to back twice in one day, and that would be all your TV time. I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying it's fun. Uh, then everything else is 26.75 hours. That includes actual time with your family. That includes getting work done around the house or chores. That includes just keeping uh, friendships and relationships up. And then God, if we consider maybe an hour, hour and a half service plus 30 minutes a day of a quiet time, that's about five hours a week. And so we kind of break it down and we can see the, the different uh, dynamics there. Let's go to the next slide, which talks about the actual percentage we see there. So 33%, a third of our time, if we're sleeping in a healthy amount of sleep, 33% of the time is, is with sleep. We have 24% is at work. Social media is 9%, TV is 15%. Everything else is 16% and then God gets 3%. And I know not all of us are this extreme. Not, and some of you say, I don't have social media, so, you know, so take out that 9%, and that's awesome, and that's great, that's totally fine, just means that what are you filling that with, right? So even if you look at one of those, well, I don't own a TV, awesome, what are you filling up that time with? But we look at this idea of God and, and 3%, and Richard Foster wrote this a little while ago, in a, in a couple years ago, and he said this, the scandal of Christianity in our day is the heresy of a 5% spirituality. The idea that the heresy is that we believe that God only gets 5% of our time. And little did he know when he wrote that, that by the time we're reading this in 2018, it's much closer to 3% than 5%. And so again, we may not be as extreme as this, but we recognize that we often will limit our time with God, that 5% that, that there, we often limit that, that 3%, sorry, we limit that, 
and we think those are our Christian activities. That's when I go to church. That's when I have my quiet time. That's when I read my Bible. That's when I'm in a small group. That's when I stand and I sing and I clap and I praise. And, and so our, our goal for today, when we think about this idea of when do we worship, our goal is to expand what worship looks like in those areas. And so the, the main point for tonight, or for today rather, it's not on your notes yet. You'll get to it later. But worship is more than performing sacred activities once a week. It's more than thinking about our, what are the good Christian things that we do and doing that once a week. It's recognizing the sacred in all our activities throughout the week. It's recognizing that we can make things that are seemingly separate from our church activities, separate from our relationship with God, that we can infuse God's spirit and we can passionately worship him in those areas and not say it's just one versus the other, but we can bridge that gap between the two. So worship is more than performing sacred activities once a week. It's recognizing the sacred in all our activities throughout the week. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Um, as you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read 16 through the end, but we're going to start in 16. But as you're doing that, if you're following along in the notes, there's, there's a gap there. And the, that first note there is for sacred activities. So writing the word sacred in there and, and recognizing that um, here's a list of some of the sacred activities when we think about what it means to worship God. And we limit what worship is to, to some of these things only. So look at verse uh, 16, we're on page 1832 in the church Bible. If you have your app or your own Bible, that's fantastic. Uh, so it's Colossians 3, starting in verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so let's look at just a few of these things that are sacred activities. We're, we're going to go through this pretty quickly. So if you have your notes, uh, we're just going to go pretty quickly through it. The first one that we see here is uh, in verse 16 when it talks about teaching. This idea that we would be teaching or being taught is a sacred activity. That yes, we come here and, and you listen to uh, someone hopefully not talk too long about the Bible and talk through that sort of thing. But it's this idea where there's a teaching that's going on. And okay, we think, okay, when I learn and someone's teaching me the word of God, that is a, that is a sacred activity. That is an awesome thing. We see in Acts 2, the idea that the apostles devoted themselves or the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's, this, again, these are good things. It's biblical things to have teaching be an important part of our lives. And so we, we often will separate that as something that is sacred. The next thing that we see again in verse 16 is the idea of admonishing. The idea of having a relationship where, where someone can hold you accountable, that iron would sharpen iron, that there would be someone who knows you well enough and knows the Lord well enough that recognizes the gaps between where your pursuit with God is and saying, hey, friend, fellow sojourner on this journey, keep an eye out for this, or, or you're slipping here, or encourage you in this. But this idea of admonishing, of, of rebuking in a wise way and loving someone enough to give them the hard words sometimes because that's how much you love them. And that can only happen when you're in a great community. If, if someone who doesn't know you just comes in and starts rebuking and admonishing you, it doesn't often go well. But when you have someone who knows you and loves you and knows and loves God and comes alongside you in that, then that is to be treated well. That is to be a good thing for us to receive that rebuke, to receive that from a friend. And so that's something, again, we look at, okay, admonishing, that type of idea of someone holding me accountable, that is a sacred activity. The next one we look at is singing. And, and we've talked about this, that the second week, what worship is, it's not just lifting up our voices, but it is part of it, but it's not all of it. 
so it's not just singing here on a weekend service. In fact, there's a pastor uh, up in Portland, John Mark Homer, who says it this way. The cosmic, gargantuan, 24-7 kingdom of God cannot be shrunk down to a few hundred people singing songs in a nice building for an hour every weekend. That that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just us lifting our voices. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. And the mistake that we often can make is that we think that that's all worship is, is just singing songs. It's part of it. It's not all of it. But we see this idea that singing is something that, again, we say, okay, when I sing songs to God and I'm worshiping, that's a, that's a sacred activity. That's part of what I do. That's sacred. Then lastly, that we see here in verse 17, this idea of giving thanks to God. And for some of us, that is excited because our, our cup is overflowing right now. And so we are able to give thanks to God for so many different things. And for some of us, that is desperately difficult. That is insanely tough to give thanks to God in the circumstances we're facing now. And so that is a, that is a holy act of worship to give thanks to God in the midst of tragedy, difficulty, or, or struggle. But again, we look at giving thanks to God and we think, okay, that is a, that is a sacred thing. And so these things, teaching, admonishing, singing, giving thanks to God, those are things that we often think is sacred, that we align into that, that 3% of where God would fit. And those are also things that we end up um, recognizing that we uh, do mostly on a Sunday morning. Like those are Sunday morning activities that are sacred. And so when we talk about that worship isn't just performing these, this list of sacred activities one day a week, it's because we want to recognize that we are to worship God every day of the week, and see how we can worship him in every area of our week and all the roles in which we play. So that's kind of the, the first idea of the sacred activities. So the next point that we have there is this question that says, or, or this idea of what happens when we divide the sacred and the secular? What happens when we divide in our minds the sacred and the secular? Hugh uh, Welchel says it this way, we, we have been tricked into thinking that there is a secular neutral ground in our lives that is neither for nor against God, but nothing could be further from the truth. That we think that, okay, I have my sacred activities that I do here, that I do on a Sunday morning, that I sing and I clap and I stand and I praise and I pray and I worship and I read my Bible and I have a small group and I do these sacred activities and, and that's it. And then there's the rest of the things that's not really affecting my walk with God based on with people at work. Or it doesn't really affect my relationship with God with how I respond to, to my grown-up kids or, or siblings that are uh, living all over the place. Or it doesn't really affect how I am at school or how I am with, with other people around me. That we think that somehow when I come to church, I need to be a different person. That I need to be good. I need to hold everything together. That I need to be perfect. That I need to have this mask on. And then when I go off and I leave church, that then I can you know, finally be me again and I can just unload on people or express impatience or anger or frustration. So what happens when we divide the sacred and the secular? Now I'm going to read uh, from Colossians 3, 18 through 22, or 23 rather. And as we read that, I'm going to be reading things that, you know, this is about marriage. It's about parenthood. We're not going to dive into all those topics today. That's another topic for another day. But what I want us to see is how closely in conjunction the sacred activities that we see in verse 16 and 17 are correlated and brought up right here when it talks about some activities or some roles that may not seem as connected to our church activities. But here are some of those other roles and how that impacts our lives. 
So verse 18 says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So first, these activities don't seem that they're sacred. It just seems like, okay, I'm going to be at church. And then when I'm here at home, I get to just be me. I get to relax. I get to, I don't have to be on all the time when I'm just home. And so I don't have to be the same kind of husband or father that I show myself to be on a Sunday morning because then I just get to relax and, and man, God can't really expect that much of me anyways, right? But the problem is that once we divide those two things, when we divide the sacred to just a small amount of activities that the gargantuan 24-7 kingdom of God can be whittled down to an hour, five hours of our week, as opposed to the other 163 in which we are able to worship God. Once we keep that divided and separated, then these things happen. These things happen like this, that we, are, we act differently on Sunday than we do Monday through Saturday that we love people here and we're, we put on a great, um, a great face of loving people here and then we go home with that same mouth, we end up tearing into our kids or belittling our spouse or tearing down a coworker on a Monday or lighting into somebody because they did me wrong while I'm driving. That we use that same mouth that is looking so good on a Sunday and we end up falling short. Kind of this idea where you say, I've had people say, well, they'll say like, oh, like I lie to you, but I can't because I'm at church. As if, as if the building that we are standing in dictates whether or not we sin. Rather than recognizing that the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is already inside of us. So no matter where we are, God is at present. So if we only wait until we're in with the four walls of the church to watch how we act, then how much more are we missing the point of, we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he is with us always. So we can't get away with things when we're outside of these four walls. We may not get caught, but it doesn't mean we get away with it. So we look at this idea of A.W. Tozer says, if you can't worship him on Monday, you didn't worship him on Sunday. And if you don't worship him on Saturday, you are not in very good shape to worship him on Sunday. That if we're only worshiping him for these sacred activities one day a week and it doesn't impact the rest of our week, then we're not really worshiping him. We're not really recognizing that last week the reason we worship is because we have been changed by who he is, what he's done, and how he loves. And so we recognize that we haven't truly been changed by God if it's only changing 5% of our lives or 3% of our lives or three hours of our lives. And if we're only being changed by that much, then we're not really worshiping him on Sunday. He puts it a little bit more bluntly when he says this. So I've got to tell you that if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. It's all or nothing. It's not that we could come here and we could put on a, a mask or put on a front or, or pretend like everything's okay because if there's any place in all the world that should be safe to share about our brokenness and to ask for prayer, should it not be the church? Should it not be the place where 
We recognize that we are not perfect people, but we are broken, imperfect people who have been made righteous by a perfect Savior. And so we are sojourners on this journey together, and we could come alongside one another, admonish one another, keep each other accountable so that we could keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith because we could be such a cloud of witnesses to hold each other up. If there's a place where we could be broken, should it not be here at the church? Another thing that happens is that we recognize that we can be seen as hypocrites by those we try to reach. That if, if we separate the, secular or the sacred and the secular and we say, well, this is how I am on Sunday morning and this is what it looks like, and then we forget to act that way, or we fail to act that way throughout the week, we could be seen as hypocrites. And that, that Greek term hypocrite, it just means someone who's wearing a mask. It means a player in a play, an actor in a play that puts on a mask and is somebody else, and then takes off the mask and is somebody else. So if we are keeping our, our secular, or sorry, sacred lists of activities here, and that's all we're doing to worship God, but then we fail to see all the avenues in which we can worship him throughout our week, and we it's almost like we're putting on a mask to say, yes, I know Lord, and yes, I love God. And we do, we do, I don't doubt that we do. But that doesn't mean that we're allowing him to truly change us from the inside out. We can love him and keep him at a distance. But that's not what he wants, and deep down, that's not what we want. But we recognize that we can be seen as hypocrites. That I worked at Macaroni Grill um, years ago, and two, uh, I was so saddened that I would work uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I was a Christian, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a light in this place, I'm gonna do my best to, to um, serve each other, to lift one another up, to encourage, how can I help, to share Jesus, uh, both with words and actions. But I remember everybody, the service, if you've ever served at a restaurant, maybe your experience is similar, where they talk about how Sunday was the worst day to work. Because Sunday was when Christians would come in after church and treated the people horribly. That they would jokingly, or not even jokingly, they would sarcastically, intentionally, bitingly, saying, it's happy Sunday. Because people would come to church, and they would go to lunch afterwards, and they would treat their servers with disdain. Recognizing that we come and we serve, and we are in the image of one who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so, they would joke and say, it's happy Sunday, and, and I'm, I'm fighting that to try to be a witness. I also remember that I would have a, a friend, I drove him home one time, and uh, I was 19 or 20 at the time, and, and he was um, slightly older than that, but we were driving, we would talk, and I was driving, and I did this thing when I was younger, that um, when I would run a, a yellow light, which I don't do anymore, don't worry, um, when I run a yellow light, I would kiss, uh, blow a kiss, and I put it on the, on the dashboard. And someone had shown me that, and it's like, oh, it's like a cool, like, good luck, hope I don't die. And it was like this like, lighthearted, like, oh, this is great. And my, my friend, I'm driving, and I ran a yellow light. I did that, and he's like, why did you do that? I was like, oh, like, you know, because it's like luck, and you know, I don't want to die. And he's like, do you believe in luck? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you trusted in God, not in luck. And I was like, that's the one. That's the one I meant to do. That was it. But it's this idea of recognizing that's a small aspect, but we could probably think of bigger ones in our lives, in which we see that what I say I believe doesn't always line up with how I act in every aspect. So I thought, I'm at the restaurant, I'm going to be a light, I'm going to be an example, but I failed to see how even how I drive or how I interact while I'm driving can be an opportunity for me to be a witness and for me to live out what I say and not just seem like I'm a hypocritical person who wears a mask at one place and then 
shows my true self elsewhere. So then there's this quotation from Brendan Manning that, that hits me in the gut when I read it. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This idea that when we separate the sacred and the secular, when we allow that to become a divide in our lives, that we only show our love outwardly for Jesus and for others here at church or here when I'm doing Christian things or sacred activities, if that's all we are doing, then we can go out and we can live our lives at work or at home or in the neighborhood or when we go play sports or whatever it is, and we can deny him by our lifestyle, though our lips say otherwise. And that is what an unbelieving world, a world that is thirsting, whether they acknowledge it or not, a world that is thirsting for something or rather someone to fill up the greatest wounds in their lives. And we say we have the answer, but sometimes we don't live like we have the answer. We live like we're having the same problems. Which leads us to this next question. How can we show the difference Jesus has made in our lives to those who don't know him if we live the same way they do? How can we show the difference Jesus has made in our lives to those who don't know him if we live the same as they do? And this is not something that I say standing on a stage with a microphone because I've perfected it. This is something as a fellow sojourner on this journey, we want to walk alongside one another and say, how are we showing that Jesus has made a difference? How is our words and our actions and our deeds and our thoughts and our lives showing that God is so important, and Jesus has made such a difference that it's not, he hasn't just changed the five hours and the 3% of my week, he's changed all of it. And that I've been able to see that there is a way that I can honor him in every aspect of my life. So here's what we need to land on these last few minutes we have together. What is the key to bridging that divide? The key to bridging the divide between the sacred and the secular, to what we say we do as church activities, to all of our activities, regardless of where we are. And the answer to that is that we must resolve to worship God with whatever we do. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then that's the beginning of our passage. This, the end of our passage was verse 23 that says, and whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. That if we have this mindset, if we do a paradigm shift, that we say whatever we do, we're going to honor God. Whatever we do, regardless of where we are or how we feel, if whatever we do, we give honor and glory to God, then we start to live a life where that sacred and secular divide is eradicated. And then people get to see who you truly are because they see how God has made you and how you're worshiping him in every area so that it's a light in a dark place in a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. R. Keith Lofton says, Paul, in this passage, referring to this passage, says that Paul says Christians are to have a view of life such that all aspects of life, even the seemingly mundane, wiring receptacles, repairing motors, delivering newspapers, the parts of life typically regarded as secular, are to be equally done in the name of Christ. That is, that they are to be recognized as sacred. And then we see that Jimmy Draper says it this way. 
Christianity is not a way of doing certain things. It's not that there's a list of activities that are sacred that I just do certain things to become a Christian. I just check off those boxes and I say, oh, I did my quiet time. I prayed for 47 seconds. That's prayer. I was able to read a Bible passage. There's one verse in there. That's, that's reading. And I had a memorized verse that I did three years ago that I still remember. That's memorizing. And then we say, oh, I sang a song and I clapped even though I don't really like the song. That's worshiping. And we go to these different things where we say it's just check, check, check the box. But he's saying that it's not just a way of doing certain things, it's a certain way of doing things. It's recognized that everything that we do, whatever we do, we could do it for the glory of God. Whatever we do, we do as if for the Lord and not man. Whatever we do is an act of worship when done with God in our view. When we bring God into the, sick, the secular so that there is no more a secular that we've been tricked into thinking doesn't impact our sacred lives. But that the sacred and the secular are united together. So for you, what roles, I shared a few of the roles I had, what roles do you have? And if you split those roles up into secular and sacred, and how can you reclaim those roles that are in the secular? How can you reclaim that for God? And if I started off this, this morning talking about, if I were to question how, what percentage of my life was done sacred last week? You know, then I show a graphic that shows 3%. Well, the hope and the prayer is that if we were to ask that question next week, all of us would be able to say 100% because God is in us. And so when we do all these different things, we are worshiping him. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what building we are in because God is building something in us. And that he is working and living and moving and breathing. And so... We talk about the importance of bridging that gap, of reclaiming the sacred, of making sure that that divide no longer exists. Richard Foster says, one of the reasons that ordinary tasks are so vitally important to a spiritual life is simply because most of us spend most of our time here. Frankly, if we fail to sanctify the ordinary, we will be leaving God out of a large part of who we are and what we do. That if we keep the 3%, the 3%, and we don't invite God into the other 97 then we're at a point where we're not really inviting him into the majority of our lives. So, lastly, just to kind of close this idea, I want to use a closing illustration. Uh, this is not a trick question, so just raise your hand. How many of you have used a microwave in the past week? Excellent. Uh, how many of you have used a crock pot in the past week? Slow cooker, any of those things? Yes, these are good things. So, here's what, here's what. I, I, I like the microwave. Like, there's some frozen burritos that can be pretty decent when you heat them up. There's, like, Easy Mac from uh, Trader Joe's that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't kick out of my plate if it's in front of me. But how do microwaves work? Microwaves are these things where you put it in there, and what it does is that it allows this, the, the, the water molecules on the outside, and it just excites them on the outside. And it gets to this point where, have you ever had a time where you've touched something and it felt hot and you cut into it and it's ice cold? It's because that has the, the excitement of those water atoms, those things have not gone into the depths yet. And so it's something where it could be hot to the touch, but cold to the core. And then you look at a slow cooker, you look at a crock pot, and you think, oh man, that, that meat has just been marinating for six hours. And that is the, the, the just incredible flavor and the aroma when you make a, a crock pot of soup or, or uh, chicken tacos or whatever it may be. And you just walk in and it's just good and it, and it impacts so much and you say you never question whether or not it's going to be cold when you take a bite why because it's taken time to marinate and to be heated from the inside out 
for us, if we're not careful, if we keep the secular and the sacred separated, then what happens is that we come to a Sunday service and we try to just get ourselves excited on the outside with being hot to the touch but then cold to the core. That we haven't allowed God to work in us and through us and deeply change how we live and how we talk and how we listen and how we love and how we share and how we speak. That we just kind of do the outside and we look great on the outside and we get excited on the outside because God is doing good things and he is, but when we're in our heart of hearts, it's still cold. And we're cold because we haven't allowed him to change us in every aspect of our lives. And so instead, it's being able to recognize that this deep change happens when we go into every day of our week and we say, how do I worship God with this person who's walking in the door right now? How do I worship God with this interaction with my family member, with my son or with my daughter? How do I worship God while I'm driving and recognizing that, you know, maybe I don't kiss the dashboard anymore because I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. And, and maybe it's one of those words, how do I find ways to, maybe I'm still on social media, but how do I use that to uplift and encourage people and share the love of God as a missions field that the gospel can be powerful in rather than just looking and double tapping likes and being able to just share funny videos? How do I look at TV and recognize that I can honor God in what I watch and what I don't watch and how we can maybe eliminate some of that time on TV to actually talk to one another face to face as a family? I mean, what would it look like if we looked at our entire lives and invited God in to what we thought was secular, recognize that it all can be sacred? What could it look like and how powerful would our worship be? The closing quotation for us this morning is that Richard Foster, again, from um, Celebration of Discipline, says, Live throughout the week as an heir of the kingdom, listening for his voice, obeying his word. Since you have heard his voice throughout the week, you know that you will hear his voice as you gather for public worship. That when we worship God Monday through Saturday, it changes the way we worship on Sunday. That Sunday morning for 15, 20 minutes is no longer the summation, the grand total, the grand sum of our worship. It is a culmination of what God has been doing in and through us throughout the entire week. And Richard Foster, it's not a quotation there, but Richard Foster talks about this idea of this holy expectancy, this idea that when people are truly listening to his voice and obeying him throughout the week, because they've known that God has spoken to them, they expect that God will speak to them on a Sunday morning. So they come in and they are ready to hear what God has them to say through singing, through the word, through community and relationship. And he talks about how even one or two people that come on a Sunday morning with that holy expectancy can change the atmosphere of a room. Because if no one expects God to move, then it's going to be really hard for God to move. There's why Jesus wasn't able to perform certain miracles in certain areas. But if we all come in expecting him to move because he's already been moving in our lives, then how powerful and how beautiful and how incredible is our worship going to be? Not just because we're singing the voices, but because we're laying down our lives in a way that is pleasing to him and that anyone who walks through these doors would know that Jesus is real and he's made a difference because our lives are not the same as those who don't know him. What would that look like for us, for you, for me, for we to do this every single week where we're worshiping him throughout our week and then we come together not as the summation of our worship but as the culmination of what he's already doing and worshiping him that way. So we have this chart here that we made in the very beginning. If we show the first chart where it looks at the, this, the different areas with sleep and work and social media, TV, everything else, and then God. And then we recognize that when we break down that gap between the sacred, which is that 3%, and the secular of everything else, then we have the opportunity to change it here. And we see that it's all whatever you do. 
all of that. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it as if for the Lord and not man. And whatever you do will bring glory to God because he is using you in incredible ways. He's teaching you, shaping you, growing in you, and that we could be a light on a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And whatever we do, that, those are our acts of worship, regardless of where we are, who we're with, that we take down the mask of pretending everything's okay. And we recognize that with God, he's the only one that can make us okay. And so we trust and we lean into and we worship him. Because as it says in your notes, to take this note down, worship is more than performing sacred activities once a week. It's recognizing the sacred in all our activities throughout the week. May we live lives that reflect that truth starting today throughout this week and come back next Sunday ready to worship him because we expect him to move because he already has been in every area of our lives. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God and we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you teach us and you admonish us, that we sing songs to you, that we give thanks to you. But we recognize that that is not all we do when it comes to worshiping you. And we, we thank you that for some of us that we look at our, the amount of time we spend in different areas and, and we see that we fall short of giving you all of us. So Lord, forgive us. We confess the times that we only try to put you in a box of 3% of our time and we repent of that. We turn into a 180 degree turn and may we break down that divide and bridge that gap between sacred and secular so that you may be glorified wherever we are because wherever you have us, you have an ambassador and a child who loves you and someone who could share about the hope that we have in you to those around them. So Lord, we love you. We pray that you would just work in our lives and help us to worship you, not just for 3%, but in 100% of our life because it's whatever we do, we do it for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we leave this morning, may this not be uh, the totality, the summation of our worship this coming week, but may this opportunity be the beginning of how we worship God throughout our week, that we don't just come to perform sacred activities once a week, but that we seek to find the sacred in all our activities throughout the week, so that when we come next week, we say, hey, how much of your week was, uh, was spent doing sacred activities? That we, would, we would say 100%. God bless Gary. Um, that's exactly right. So as you leave this morning, thank you so much for being here. I uh, want to remind you to grab uh, some VBS tags, grab the homeless survival bags, head out to the, um, the patio area. For a woman you want to talk about women's ministry, connect with Bev. But then for all of us, happy Father's Day and grab a root beer float. So thank you all so much for coming, and we'll see you next Sunday.